Welcome to episode two of the Coaching and Mentoring Podcast Season 2. My name's Dave T, Chair of the Wales Coaching Centre at the University of South Wales. We provide coaching, mentoring and supervision, working with individual practitioners to develop their coaching and mentoring expertise and with organisations to help their coaching and mentoring practice to flourish. Our guest today is Dr. Darren Stevens. Darren is the founder of Cognolibro and developer of the Constructed Development Theory, which looks at how we, typically unconsciously, make habitual use of certain shortcuts as we go about our work and life. Darren uses these new ideas to develop both teams and individuals, and will be focusing particularly in this conversation on how we can helpfully, as coaches, bring this awareness into service in working with our clients. Thank you for joining us, Darren. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. Let's have a look then at how self-awareness can give coaches and clients greater capacity to respond in the moment. And could I start by asking you to bring our listeners up to speed with your background and what it is that first had you develop this interest, please? Good question. Currently, I work at a university in London doing lecturing, undergrad and postgrad. Uh, I also do my own research as an independent. I think that's more the case. But what got me interested in it was I left. I was an IT manager at a large organization, and that didn't really float my boat. So I left and started to do something called NLP in about 2005, Neuro Linguistic Programming. And then when I started to use that around, I thought I should back it up with a psychology degree. And then I got a job working with an identity compass profile system that deconstructs our thinking into 50 of these shortcuts that you've just mentioned. And I got to work with the University of Coventry in London on their London campus, profiling MBA students. And I noticed that in about 2010, I was reading a guy called Robert Keegan and another guy called Otto Lasky, and they talk about levels of adult development. And what I noticed was that when I was feeding back these identity compass profiles, I could tell which students were Keegan stage three and which were Keegan stage two or four. Now, it didn't matter that I could tell this. I had to prove it. You know, people like to have evidence. So I took my idea of how we think and I turned it into a PhD, which I did at Coventry. And from there, I could determine that Somebody who was at Keegan stage three was much more external in their locus of evaluation. So in other words, if you gave them feedback, they might be hurt by the feedback if it was too negative. Whereas somebody at stage four would determine for themselves whether they wanted to hear your feedback or not, and whether they gave you any credibility as a person giving the feedback, that kind of thing. But that all came out in the profile. And I went from there, really. It's uh, immediately apparent I'm thinking of this specifically in a, a mentoring or a coaching context about how having this knowledge can influence how we would show up our way of being and working with individual clients and how we might tailor that. So thank you. Very interesting. I would argue that most coaching frameworks and models out there tend to have a fixation on the problem, the opportunity, the presenting topic, you know, what's your goal, what outcome do you want, all of this. Your own framework, the wonderfully titled Coaching 2.0, instead has this focus on the self. Why is this particularly important, please? Well, 
You're right, it does. Uh, there are obviously first, second, third generation coaching. And out of the first, you get things like the grow model. And out of the third, you get a much more emotional aspect because all of the generations have one thing in common. And it's really about relationships and emotional process and that kind of thing. However, in my framework, I don't start with their problem or their goal or their emotional connection. In my theory, constructive development theory, how complexly we think is key. So I start with the problem of their construction of self because the problem they turn up with is actually not a problem of utility or agency. It's actually a problem of construction. And let me give you an example. If someone comes to me and they, let's say they're, at, let's make it Keegan's system because that's much easier to understand. Stage two, three, four, and five. And just for argument's sake, you'll probably never meet a stage five person anyway. But if the person comes to you and they think at Keegan stage two, the problem they construct is at stage two. So in order to grow their thinking and move them along the scale so that they no longer see the problem from a stage two perspective, we don't look at the problem. We look at how they construct their thinking. Because invariably what happens is as you grow their thinking over time, the problem changes. And in some instances, it might not even be a problem anymore. So what we do is we start with how they construct their thinking using these 50, they're basically cognitive heuristics, shortcuts in how we think. And when you understand how they all work together to create your unique thinking style, we can then look at the ones that are most out of balance, out of kilter, and focus on those. And let me give you an example of that. So most people know from my research, they know that they are internal or external. In other words, if I said to you, Dave, how do you know you're doing a good job? You might say, well, Darren, I just know. I'm fairly awesome. I know. Right? On the other hand, you might say, well, Darren, I like to be told that I'm you know, doing a good job, not just by my peers and that, but by the students or by people around me. Well, one is an internal locus of evaluation, you know, and the other is an external locus. You like to be told. It's not about whether you are internal or external. At the lower levels, you could be massively external and score lowly, and you could be massively internal and score just as lowly because it's the gap between those two. How do you know you are internal? How do you know you're external? So for me, it's actually about striving for balance and choice in the use of internal, external. And when you did your talk not long ago for the AC, we talked about what is leadership, for example, from an internal, external perspective. So what I offered to the people in my breakout group was that it's not about an internal leader or an external leader. It's about the leader who is most at choice in their internal, external use. And that's where we start from. How at choice are they from a coaching perspective? You've mentioned these Keegan levels. and We may never meet someone at the fifth. Could you talk around what each of these levels are a bit, please? Yeah, let's go with Keegan because it is easier to grab. At level two, I'm going to make a controversial point now. At level two, it's all about me. What's in it for me? How do I make more money for me right now? If you want to think about this in a larger context, remember that president, his name was Donald Trump. He was essentially a level two thinker. America as a society might be a little more selfish than other societies. And without going into the things that we teach all day about high and low context cultures, uh, with America being a, a low context culture, it might be that 
they elected Donald Trump as their level two God to become president because it's more reflective of their society. Okay, so that gives you an idea of what a level two might think like. When you move away from that, you go towards a more socialized mind. So the people at level three are, how are we doing? What's our relationship like? Are we okay as a collective? Now you're starting to look at places like China, India, where they're much more family oriented, much more social in their construction of their culture. Now, we obviously, in business terms, you call them high context cultures. But what about the stage four countries, the ones who've transcended social norms in the sense of family? We could argue that the places in the north of Europe are moving towards a more self-authored way of thinking, which is stage four from Keegan's perspective. And they're not necessarily worried about the emotional angle because they know that they are not responsible for your emotions. You are. Okay. And they want the best for everybody. And it's a much more egalitarian approach and where everybody benefits. So if you were to create a business in a country like that, it'd be more around a social enterprise where you're not necessarily worried about the profit. You're thinking more in terms of how do we all benefit? From a stage five perspective, we might actually take into account someone like Elon Musk, Steve Jobs, because what they do is they leave a legacy. They're planning 20, 50, 100 years into the future. You know, span, uh, Elliot Jacks would call that the span of discretion, that kind of thing. But you don't meet those guys often. This is a massive question, I know, so I apologize now. But in terms of implications for practice as a coach, how might I most artfully work with knowledge of these different levels and how they might show up in my clients? Well, that's a great question because that is actually the thrust of Coaching 2.0. It starts with the level of the client and the level of the coach. It's a much more ethical way of coaching, in my humble opinion, Dave, because we ensure that the coach is at a higher level than the client just so that they are capable of seeing the client's patterns. If you do it the other way around, where the client is a higher level than the coach, and I appreciate this is a podcast, not a video, if you take into account that the client might be higher level, then the coach cannot see the patterns that the client has. In essence, they can't coach them. So in the framework that I've developed, I also want to try my best to create something like a, an institute or an academy, which I'm probably going to call something like stage coach stage coach, right, that ensures that the coach is always a level above the client so that they can see the patterns that the client has. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I can see the same in a coaching supervisor, supervisee dynamic applying just as much. Absolutely right. So is the necessary first step then, um, because I have been asked a few questions about clients to start off with, that we need to begin with the coach knowing themselves. Yes, sir. That's exactly it. So they would, in essence, if you wanted to join, if you wanted to learn about how to do coaching 2.0, for example, we would start with an identity compass profile, which deconstructs your thinking and gives me a thinking quotient scale and an awareness quotient scale score for each. Okay. The thinking quotient is easy enough. That maps to Keegan's levels. Okay. And what we tend to find is most people who want to do coaching or who consider themselves to be a coach usually around level 3.1, 3.2 on Keegan's system, which is absolutely bang on because it's socialized mind. How are we? I want to be helpful. How can I help you? What tends to happen, though, from an AQ perspective, awareness quotient perspective, which is the Stevens scale, which came out of my research, 
is that uh, the coach gets bogged down in the processes. They might get bogged down in the, in the Gen 1 system where you have a grow model and it becomes your be-all and end-all, the only way you know how to coach and you insist on goals. Well, the problem might be that the person in front of you might not be very procedural in the way they work. If they're not procedural, they won't follow necessarily the process laid down by the coach. But more importantly, let's pretend the coach is massively options oriented. Then every single time they get a client, they'll do something different with them. They might have a different way of approaching the client. And if you were to teach them from a coaching academy perspective or whatever, if you taught them a process for coaching, they wouldn't follow it because they can't follow it. I'm, I'm very options, by the way. So I'm not saying anything disparaging against anybody other than myself. But this, what we're talking about here, I also offer to my students at undergrad and postgraduate level. And I ask them how they're thinking, not what they're thinking. So it's not necessarily aimed at just coaches and clients. It could be aimed at anybody once you understand how we construct our thinking impacts how we turn up in the world. And you've mentioned just then about options and procedures, and you've spoken about internal, external, and aficionados of neuro-linguistic programming. These are meta-programs, metacognitive patterns. Would it be a useful precursor for anyone fascinated by what you're describing now to begin maybe with an awareness in what these meta-programs are? Yes, what I did was, because if you take NLP as a field and you go to a university and say, I'm going to do some research in NLP, they usually tell you to go away. <laughs> okay, so what I had to do was I had to take what were metaprograms. I had to find, first of all, I had to find research, academic peer-reviewed research on metaprograms, and there really isn't a lot, and work out how they fit into psychology because I needed to give them some credibility. So I found some neurological reasons why we do towards and away from, for example, and I can map towards to one study, away from to another study. You, you get the point. I had to give these metaprograms a psychological foundation. And once I did that, I understood that actually our intention, awareness, choice, and response of these metaprograms changes how we look at them, how we understand them. So I, I renamed them and reframed them, and I called them cognitive intentions because they're not metaprograms. And I don't know what metaprograms actually means, but I do know what a cognitive intention is. Does that make sense? <laughs> yes, it does. So I, yes, if you did some NLP training, you might learn about metaprograms. I would hope eventually, though, in my utter hubris, that eventually everybody in NLP would start teaching them as cognitive intentions. <laughs> Why not? I'm interested in what you were saying just then about bringing NLP into sort of academic scrutiny and consideration and some of the obstacles and barriers. because. And by their own admission, a lot of it is about modelling excellent practice. And some of the people they're seeking to model have their own thinking and practice rooted in traditions and fields of research, of professional expertise and proven models and so forth. So I've had conversations with academic psychologists where, for example, I've talked about some of these cognitive intentions. Let's start calling them that. Good man. And they say, oh, but isn't that just? And then they will name something that is much more orthodox and regarded as legitimate within the field of psychology. So there is this magpie tendency within NLP. And if some of the people who are sniffy about it actually scratch below the surface, it's often a repackaging of something they're very familiar with. I agree with your point. What you said right there is you give legitimacy to some of the aspects of NLP. Let's flip it around and, and put it onto the NLP community to actually 
write down where they can get this credibility from and say, look, why why is NLP given such a bad rap if we can demonstrate that it's founded in actual psychology? That's why I had to do what I had to do with regards to metaprograms. You're absolutely right in that sense. And I'm curious, again, thinking about what you were saying a couple of minutes ago, has your own research pointed to any change over time in the thinking quotient or the awareness quotient of coaches? Because you talked a bit about this urge to help, you know, that I might myself want to feel helpful. And so I'm fulfilling my own need in wanting to help clients. And that's often argued to be a, a presenting characteristic of people that are starting out in coaching. So I'm wondering if you've seen any difference in people that, you know, have done 250 hours or 500 hours of practice that they've stopped that need to scratch that help itch. Only once they've reached a certain level of complex thinking. I call it dynamic intelligence. Okay, the more things you can pull in in the moment to influence your decision making, the more dynamically intelligent you are. And I, I researched intelligence for that. And obviously, is dynamic intelligence real? Yes, it is. Why? Because all the rest are just as made up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's absolutely true. Gardner just made it all up. You know, <laughs> Sternberg made it up. That kind of thing. I actually have longitudinal data on normal individuals. I mean, it doesn't matter whether they're a German businessman or a clinical psychologist or whatever. And what we tend to forget is that environment is key. Environment is our greatest intervention. Remember the last time your job changed and how your thinking had to change to accommodate it. And that doesn't mean that you stayed there. That could be that you left. So what we tend to find is over time, as we understand more about how we construct our own thinking, if my internal external balance changes, of course, my thinking changes. And as a coach, as a a fledgling coach who's just starting out, you might turn out to be about AQ5 on my system. But over time, as you profile, as you get someone like me to coach you through the Coaching 2.0 framework, your own thinking changes. Therefore, your AQ score goes up. And this exact premise, you know, touch wood, Dave, fingers crossed, I am working with the ICF, the International Coaching Federation, to profile between 300 and 500 coaches to demonstrate what the difference is between their lower level coaches, the ones who are just starting out, and their master practitioner coaches. Because I can, well, over 500 coaches, I'm going to get some fantastic data on what is the difference that makes the difference in how they construct their thinking at the different levels. Very, very interesting. I look forward to finding out what it is that that research discovers. Me too. You touched on dynamic intelligence. This is all about determining someone's pathway from their intention towards their response, which automatically, again, makes me think about the structure that a lot of coaching sessions invite clients to travel through. So how might working with dynamic intelligence influence the way that a coach runs sessions with clients? The initial thinking would be that the coach is at a higher level on the AQ scale than the client, so that where the coach has balance, let's pretend it's on abstract and concrete. So abstract is ideas, principles, and concrete is who, where, why, when, and how. Okay. If somebody is a project manager and they're struggling a little bit with being a project manager, and you realize that actually they've got really high abstract and their concrete isn't quite as high, but the coach does have balance in those, he can spot the patterns in the thinking and the language because don't forget, 
we language our thinking. We, we can test how we think just by listening to the people in front of us because they say it in their language. They will use, uh, you, you know this already, they'll use the visual, auditory, kinesthetic language. You know, do, you know, do you see what I'm saying? Does that ring a bell? I'm not feeling it, right? Well, we can test that in the moment from an abstract and, and concrete perspective to get back to the point of we need to grow the client from a concrete perspective to match their abstract perspective so that they have choice going forward. And when they get that choice, it might, at my age, I'm, I'm 50 years of age, it might take me three months to get that because we focus, the intervention is, we focus on the opposite for a short period of time, not so that they only then do that opposite, but so that they move towards balance. Once they get that balance, their dynamic intelligence has grown because they now see the things that they didn't see before, where they were only global with their head in the clouds and principles and ideas, you know, like your average lecturer, they now have the choice to choose between whether they have the principles and ideas or the concrete, who's there, who's doing it, what are they doing? That impacts not only their dynamic intelligence, that impacts their worldview. Does that make sense? It does. So with this theory of constructed development, what are the implications for what we understand personality to be, please? Oh, that's a great question. And it's a controversial question because mm. I don't think personality exists. Right. I think personality is, in essence, it's called a nominalization, which means you can't put a, a hundred kilograms of personality in a wheelbarrow and walk out of a shop with it, right? So it's a wheelbarrow. <laughs> <laughs> so when you talk about personality, we act as if it's true. Because we've always been taught it's true by psychologists and lecturers and universities and occupational psychologists and people like this. But if you think about it, you are under no obligation to be the same person you were five minutes ago, brackets Alan Watts, if you know how you construct your thinking. If you can construct you differently in different environments, which one of those is the authentic Darren? Well, None of them are the authentic, Darren, because the authenticity doesn't exist either because personality isn't real. And if you really wanted to be pedantic about it, then the Darren that's doing the constructing, the one that's the most aware, is the authentic person and, in essence, is the provider of the personalities in different contexts. So you know you're different when you go down the pub with your mates. You know you're different when you're at home answering questions to your children. And you know you're different when you're answering lecturing questions, standing in a room full of master's level students. When we say personality, what is it we really mean? We mean somebody who's not necessarily aware of how they construct their thinking and themselves in the moment so they habitually do what they did yesterday. And because we, we strive for some normality and some level of its comfort, really, isn't it, in how we are and who we are over time? Because if you, if you tell people that they don't have to be the same person, that might be uncomfortable for them. That's the disequilibrium that Piaget talked about. Okay, Bruner and people like that. But for me, I know I'm under no obligation. So I don't think my personality is real. I can choose who I want to be in the moment. So much of whether it's overt or implicit, so much of how coaching is practiced, particularly I'm thinking in the West, is informed by Carl Rogers and you know Rogerian principles of person-centered practice. And that talks a lot about congruence about authenticity, to use the word that you just... What are the implications for what you're controversially advocating for someone who is looking to be congruent and authentic? 
It's not about authentic. It's about it's about demonstrating how they construct themselves, how they construct their thinking. And then eventually, because it depends on which level they're at to start with, but when when you when you realize that you're at choice in how you construct you, and more importantly, that when someone else constructs you, it's invariably going to be wrong, especially if they're not at the same level of awareness as you, you kind of move away from this idea that you need to have some sign of some kind of social connection with someone in order to relate to them. You don't need that. If someone were to construct me and say, Darren, potentially you're arrogant, that's absolutely fine. Why? Because I know their construction of me isn't correct. My, in fact, right now, Dave, my construction of you isn't correct. You knowing that places the responsibility of you empowering you on you. You don't have to worry about what I'm saying because you know it's essentially going to be wrong. So now then we start to move into not just the coaching, but the therapy side of things, but we won't do that today. <laughs> okay. But if, if you think about it from a person centered perspective, it's usually about what the coach thinks is right for you that they then go down the line. That's not the way I do it. I don't care what your problem is. and I don't care what you think I think of you because both of those are constructions and wrong. Let's look at how you construct you and go from there. And one of the exciting things about coaching as uh, an industry, as a profession in the, the 2020s is that we are seeing it really taking roots in more and more territories around the world. And when you were talking about the Keegan levels, you were often citing different cultures, different specific countries, as examples of collectivist cultures and talked about the USA and so on. If I'm hearing you correctly, there are some quite profound implications for how coaching and coaches in different cultures and nations should be most effectively working rather than just imposing a model taken out of Western Europe and North America. Absolutely. If, if you took the GROW model, for example, to India and you told your client to follow the GROW model until they got to the outcome, they're more likely to follow it because that's the nature of their culture. They adhere to what the authority says. And I see this in the classroom, of course. You know, They won't question me when I ask direct questions. They will literally say nothing. You're not being culturally aware. Okay. And one of the questions I ask my students all the time, can you step out of your culture so that it doesn't impact how you construct you in the moment? And invariably they say no. At my age, being English and not knowing really what the English culture is all about, it doesn't impact me as much as it might do a young Indian, Chinese, Kenyan student coming into London because they become much more aware of their culture in a foreign country, right? So if you were to then focus on a Nigerian student who has a completely different relationship with their culture to a Chinese student, where the language is all about the individual, not necessarily the object, I'm holding up something here. When you realize that their language is socialized in its essence, but the Nigerian one isn't, how can you coach them the same way? You can't. This is fascinating. And it's uh, yeah, really going to help shape how coaching advances in the coming years. Thank you very, very much for this. If I can uh, squeeze in one final question then, please, Darren. What's an emerging or a new idea in the world of coaching that's particularly exciting you right now? Other than constructed development theory. Other than constructed development. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. I have to say I've had my head wrapped around my 
coaching 2.0 framework and the stagecoach idea for a, about a year. So I haven't noticed too much about what's out there. I'm hoping that levels of development start to emerge as people understand that it's really important to, to know where your client is rather than assume that you need to create an emotional relationship with them in order to help them achieve their goal, because they might not need that. And, and especially if you're doing business coaching, executive coaching, it's a completely different arena. And, and necessarily emotions might not be the way forward. So I'm hoping that that kind of idea starts to be picked up as well. Thank you very, very much for your time, Darren. It's been a, a pleasure to have you on this podcast. Thank you for having me. This podcast is brought to you by the Wales Coaching Centre based at the University of South Wales. We're a centre of excellence for coaching and mentoring, here to support their development and growth through training, qualifications, conferences, CPD events, and our community of practice. To find out more, simply search for USW Coaching and Mentoring.